Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good and getting ready for holidays and... All right, honesty check. How many people had Christmas music going before Halloween was over? Stephanie, yes, I know. Our household had Mariah Carey going before Halloween. Um, how many of you guys are after Thanksgiving, Christmas then is here? How many of you guys are in between? It just kind of happens. Oh, we got a good mix in here. All right. Um, I love the season. I say that a lot this time, uh, this time of the year because I, I love the, the Thanksgiving season, talking about what we can be thankful for and how we can be, be generous and bless those around us, and then coming into Christmas and what Christmas is all about. I, just, I love this time of the year. And um, actually, before we dive into continuing our series on um, living a generous life, I do have a really awesome announcement to make with you guys this morning. Um, what many of you have been well aware that this past season, I know that even before I came here and since I've gotten here, one of our things we've been looking for is a new youth leader, a new youth pastor, someone to take over the youth. And I am very pleased to talk to you guys this morning. I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> but, um, well, oh, there's. <laughs> I would like to invite up people that a lot of you probably already know, um, but we're, we've actually talked to two people about coming on and working together to officially spearhead and lead our youth ministry. And I've met with them, talked with them, and I would like to invite both Alan um, Tang and Adam Anderson to come up on stage this morning. <laughs> See, they didn't laugh when I said your name. They clapped, right? It was preemptive. <laughs> um, so meeting with these guys, um, I don't know if a lot of you have know them personally, but it's been a lot of fun to get to know um, Alan and Adam as, as they lead the youth. And... Uh, we, we've approached them, and they've approached us, and we, we've talked a lot about what this next season will look like for youth ministry, and I'm excited to announce that in terms of our youth leadership, these two are taking it on. Um, professionally, they are the youth leaders at the church, and it is super exciting to have them on. So you go stand over with, with Alan for the so you get, you, get to, you get to share the mic. What I'd like to do is um, this morning I wanted to um, talk, have a real quick dialogue with them so you guys can kind of hear more of their hearts for youth ministry and what this next season has. So um, tell, I would love for you guys to share with the church why, why now, why do you feel like stepping in on a professional level uh, to take over Sorry. youth ministry? Do, do you want to share at the same time? So Coach, Coach Beard and I are going to take this on. Um, uh, for an official capacity, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, me understand the English language. The only difference between unofficial and official is UN, and that's about all I got. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but for me, stepping into an official capacity, it's something we've know or we have needed, and it's one of those things that I mean, God's really worked on where I've been at because I've been in youth ministry forever. Um, youth ministry is one of those things that that it touched me, or that's when God really got a hold of me, and and it's one of those you know, I don't know, it's special to me. And so being able to see that need, feel that need, there was a lot of it for me that was like, I wasn't good enough to do it. I didn't have an official title and stuff like that. But, you know, we've done good so far. I mean, I've got to know, you know, most of your kids that show up and stuff like that. And so it's been fun. So, I mean, I don't know. That worked. Yeah, sorry, Paul, that I don't know. <laughs> see, I, I, I said it low. And then oh, okay, all right. I did struggle with this. Uh, um, question here about what how to describe the calling and it's tough to describe a calling you know it's something that God put in my heart a long time ago uh, when I first started thinking about youth I didn't have a youth group growing up uh, and one day months and months and months and months ago I had a 
inspiration to go to youth group on a Thursday night. I had free time, and I texted Pastor Dustin and said, hey, can I come to youth group? He's like, sure, I guess, if you want to. So <laughs> since then, it's really felt on my heart, uh, and I feel like God has really placed a lot of things in my life in order to this point in time where this was kind of almost a no-brainer, if you will. He's like, hey, here's your calling. Here's what it is. Here's how it's going to work. And again, it's a hard feeling to describe that this is where he wants me. This is where he's put me at this time. So I'm going to take this calling and I'm going to run with it. And I had the same kind of feelings as Alan did. You know, I, I don't know if I can do this by myself. I don't know if it's going to be possible. But hearing that me and Alan are going to be doing it together, I think that's going to be a nice dynamic duo there. You know, Batman and Robin. I mean, or, or other way, it depends how you want to go. <laughs> what, what gets you guys excited about youth ministry? When, when you hear youth is going to just what, what really gets you going? I saw the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what can you say about youth? That one's an easy one. Just getting there on the Thursday nights and, and other activities and just seeing the light of Jesus in, in these kids. You know, it is, I wouldn't say common, but it is, you see children go through youth ministries on, uh, children's ministries on Sunday mornings, and then we have the congregation here on Sunday mornings that is a little more on the adult side of focus. So we kind of see the youth not necessarily get left behind, but sometimes can get easily lost. You know, they, they go through their attitude changes. They go through, you know, I don't want to wake up and go to church on Sunday, but it seems to be a little easier to get them there on a Thursday. And just to be able to have that opportunity to, to spread the word to them, to take the cup that I've had filled up with me and help pour it into them and just see them grow, whether it's the first time there or they've been there for a long time. When you see something click in their, their eyes and their souls in those meetings, it's just an amazing feeling. It's just I couldn't get more excited about it than that, so I follow that one. Maybe it's because I, I relate with the youth, because there's some days where I'm like, I, don't, I feel lost and I don't want to be there. Um, <laughs> just joking, but sometimes <laughs> that's real. Um, for me, I think um, what gets me excited about youth is who doesn't get excited to be able to spend a whole bunch of time with junior high boys and girls and their issues? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's a fun challenge, um, and for me, I mean, to... I mean, maybe even pull, pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, for me growing up, I grew up in, I guess, what would be considered a broken home, but I think it's a normal home now, um, and, or an average home, I should say. Um, and youth group was really uh, a time when, like I said, God, God was able to grab a hold of my life. I, I mean, my mom is really great. She prays for me and everything. I just had an absent dad, um, being like he was, you know, they were divorced and all that fun stuff. But um, I had the, the pastor that was there, he was a senior pastor, and the youth leader at the time really spoke into my life. It's one of those moments where, I mean, I, I got it to where, you know, he spoke into my life. And if I can get the opportunity to speak into other people's lives, because my goal as, as any leader, especially youth leader, is to make better Christians than I am able to be, right? That's my goal, any of, any of these guys that, that are here. So, you know, when you're giving your children to me, that's my goal, is like, this is, you know, where we're at. I mean, you know, they're the ones that are going to be the cool things, you know, the cool doctors, scientists, everything. I'm Gen X, so I just sit back and watch the world burn. So, I mean, you know, this is, this is the epitome of where I will be, um, which is a great place. Like I said, um, you know, it's, I'm excited just because for me, it's very energizing to be able to share Jesus with people in the worst time of their lives. For me, it was junior high. Like, I don't know how many people are like, yes, junior high. Or, I'm sorry, it's now middle school. For all you people who are weird, I don't know why school districts do that. But, yeah, it was a horrible time for me. But to watch that transition and to help um, 
you know, young people and parents through that thing where it's like, you know, you went from walking them, teaching them how to walk and talk. Now you're telling them to sit down and shut up. And, you know, and that transition between like, how do I be independent while I'm in your house? And anyway, for some of that stuff, it's fun for me because it feels like I get to contribute to, you know, the bigger story and the bigger body of Christ. And so we don't lose that little cool demographic. And what are some of the, uh, the things oh, we can see it. moving forward with youth ministry? What can we get excited for in this next season? What can we get excited for in youth ministry? Um, well, um, I mean, for those of you, I mean, there's probably, I'm sorry, I'm missing it. Yes, yes, yes. I am. I mean, that, maybe that's my secret project. I mean, I can't quite reveal my villainous plot. But yeah, <laughs> one of my goals is I would love to be able to have a, a place of our own. And one of that would be like a sanctuarium um, to be able to, I mean, a pl- ima- imagine if you will, <laughs> a place where, um, you know, kids can play basketball. Kids can have a place where, you know, we can have that. And then the church can have it as well, and probably even better for the school. I mean, let's just build it for the school, and then the youth will just be like, hey, we're here, <laughs> you know. And, hey, maybe some of them could come from the school. Um, but some cool things, and we want to get some more projects in, um, as in, like, you know, we have a uh, – usually we just had a uh, costume party, and then we're going to do our big Christmas party. But I'd like to do some things outside, like some broom ball and fun things like that. Um, one of the things that makes it hard for me is um, my time to shine is going to be um, on the Christmas Eve service because I'm normally awake at nighttime. So, you know, we'll get one of you guys to speak like this when you're really tired and, and we'll see how it works. So it's my time. Um, but some of that, and that's where Adam and I are going to work real well together because I don't wake around during, or I'm not walking around during, you know, day walker time, so I'm just, I'm doing my thing by sleeping, um, but we'll be able to have more, I feel like, um, well, I know for a fact we'll have more vision and stuff, because it, since I was kind of a steward of the youth group prior to being official, you know, just in case I had to hand it over, I didn't want to create all this vision and all this thing, and then have it be different from the person in charge, so we'll definitely one thing that you're going to see is a lot more focus, a lot more vision, and uh, um, hopefully start to move at a faster pace for the youth, so. <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> um, as Alan said, you know, we have, a, we have a pretty good spread of covering 24 hours a day with the way our schedules work, so it's kind of nice that he's going to bed as I'm waking up and vice versa, so. But uh, one, one of the big words that popped in my head uh, when thinking about the forward, the future, where we're going with this is growth, and not just in size-wise. You know, of course, we're going to keep welcoming kids in, but just growth in general of, of the program, of what we can do with it. Uh, now we have two people in, in official seats that we have a little more free reign of. That. Let's, let's look forward to what we can do with these youth, whether, you know, just beyond just Thursday nights and just in, into their lives and in, just into their futures. Uh, just growth in general, just to see where we can do this. You know, I, I do have a vision for the future, but I'm trying to keep it pretty open just because I don't want to restrain ourselves. I want to be able to take what God calls us to do and run forward with it and say, hey, this is what we're called to do at this point in time. This is, I know it's not on our goal list, not on our, our, our vision chart that we have on our walls, but let's just keep going with what he wants us to do. This is the way he wants us to go. So it's just going to be a bright future, in my opinion, right now. I just, I'm just super looking forward to what we can do with this thing. So thanks again for the opportunity for it. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm super excited to have you guys on. And, and each time that we've met and talked about youth and what it's going to look like, I get really, really pumped uh, for this next season. And I know that um, you guys are going to be a total blessing to the, the students. And is, is this your kids finding out right now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
That was pretty awesome. Every, um, almost every week, his kids would come up to me. Do you know who our new youth pastor is going to be? Yeah. Can you tell us? No. Do I know him? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, you asked. I didn't deny. But, you know, it's okay. So what I'd like us to do, I'd like us to, uh, if you would, um, I'm going to pray over Alan and Adam. If you would, just extend your hands and join me in this prayer as we uh, open up this new chapter for celebration and youth ministry. And it's, it's going to be an incredible season. God, I thank you so much for Adam and Alan. I thank you that they've answered this, this call, this nudge you put on their hearts to, to take youth deeper, to take it further. And I pray that as they, as they do this, God, you, you bless their, uh, their ministry, bless their time with the kids, allow the ideas and excitement and, and energy to just pour out, not just into the youth, but pour out into the community as the youth expands and grows. God, I pray for success. I pray for uh, not just numerical growth, but spiritual growth with the kids. And that this next season here, we open up uh, just the next most amazing chapter of youth ministry here at the church. So God, we thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for these men. Be with them. Be with their, their families and their, their wives as uh, they are also, you know, their ministry affects the whole family, God. So be with their households. I pray that their households are blessed and thrive because of this, God, and that they see your hand working all of it. So we thank you for them, and we uh, thank you for this season. We love you, and everybody said amen. amen. All right, would you just give them a hand as we do this? Thank you. <clears throat> now you can keep the mic, but he's going to turn it off so you can't say anything else, just so you know. If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14 with me. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, the, the passage we're going to read is not going to probably be a strange, stranger or unique passage. A lot of us know this story. But I think it's, it's awesome when it talks about generosity and the direction we're going to go with it today. So we've, we've been looking at this uh, life-changing power last week we talked about, this life-changing power of being generous, living out and, and acting on uh, generosity. And, and last week we talked a lot about um, being our, having our eyes open and allowing us ourselves to even see the needs of those around us, right? So we highlighted last week those seven different ways that we can be generous. We talked about being generous with our thoughts, our words, our money, our influence, Time, attention, and belongings. The seven, seven things that we all have that we can bless others with, right? We may not have all of those things all at the same time, but throughout our lives, we have all those generally seven things. And uh, last week, the, the big point that I wanted to make sure we remember going into this is generosity is far more than money. I don't want anyone to hear, oh, he's going to talk about just giving money and, and using money for this. Generosity goes far beyond money, and we'll see that today in today's story. But generosity is about taking your entire life Everything you are, everything you own, the things God has given you to steward, and using your life and your stuff to be a blessing to others. And be able to see other people more than just, um, more than just someone less than you, but someone who God has given you the opportunity to be a part of and share life with. And last week we talked about awareness. And, and I pray that the, the Holy Spirit really helped you keep your antenna up. You know, last week I had to explain antenna to some of the younger kids. Like, what's an antenna? The thing on the car that is still there on the car, right? But um, last week, what, what I love, uh, so last week after church on Sunday, you go home, and Monday, Monday I get a, a text, it was either a text or an email from someone who said, um, you know, hey, I prayed that prayer in the morning, the one about God giving me an opportunity to be generous. So that this person said, I prayed that prayer, and lo and behold, I got a phone call from a blood drive, like right after I prayed. It was definitely a God thing. So I decided, this person told me they decided to do it. I said, all right, well, you really can't. Deny, I pray for something, and an opportunity happens right there. So this person goes, and they shared with me the, the God moment they felt giving blood, and then they sent me a picture of them in the chair with all the cords, and they said, you did this to me. <laughs> and um, I love that. I, I, I love hearing stories of people saying, God prompted me to do this. 
This was said on Sunday. This is what I learned, and I felt God moving in my life. If you have those stories throughout the year, not just in this series or season, but throughout the year of, you know, hey, God spoke to me in this way, and this is how I responded, share those with me. Those fill me up more than anyone ever saying, hey, I like what you said on Sunday. I like that, so, you know, you can still say that. But I love it when people say, more than what you said on Sunday, this is what I heard God say, and this is what I did. That is the absolute best. So share those with me. This morning, we're going to take another step on our path towards living a generous life. So desire to be generous is important, right? But, but desire alone does not make us generous. There's a lot of things we want to do, right? And we, we all have things like, oh, I, I, would, I would like to do that. But, but so often, that's, that's where it stays in that category, right? It just stays as a want. It stays as a desire. Like, oh, that would look really good if that happened to me. That would look really good if that was applied to my life. But sometimes it stays in that want area. And that's where it dwells for a long, long time. But if we want to live a, a generous life, you want to say, hey, I, I really want to activate this, then there's something we have to do. We have to take action on it. You know, last week we talked about being aware, but now we have to learn about what does it mean to actually not just be aware, but move it into actually doing something. And this reminds me of um, my efforts when I decided this last year that I was going to become more physically healthy. I could look in the mirror, I could step on the scale, I could see what I didn't like to see, I could see things I wanted to change, I could see a number that I didn't like when I stood on that scale, and I could have, you know, destroyed the scale and said I don't have to look at it ever again, but that wouldn't have done anything, right? It, the, the, who I was and how I looked and what I weighed would still be there. I had to actually flip a switch and take action on it. If all I ever do is look in the mirror and never change my diet or never start working out, I'm not going to become a healthier person. I'll just wish I was a healthier person. I had to take steps into it. In order to drop the pounds, something big had to happen. I had to move from desire to action. In our lives, we have to do that. We have to move from desire to action. I had to, to track what I was eating. I had to make sure I was getting up in the morning to work out because I knew once the day got going and once I went to work and got home and kids got home from school, homework, dinner, it just turned into, hey, it's, do you want to work out tonight? Nope, I'm going to bed. So I had, I had to make sure I was getting up in the morning to do it and not skipping days because then it was really easy to skip days. A big motivator for me was Pastor Mike Allison. A lot of you know Pastor Mike. He invited me to a challenge to lose weight with him, win or take a lot of money. I don't like losing. I don't like losing to Pastor Mike. So when we started to do this, I had to lay the smack down and show him I was going to win. And I did, and it was awesome. But the big thing is, yeah, you can, next time you guys you ever see him, just go, hey, I heard you lost to Pastor Dustin. Take that. Just let him have it. But the first step I knew is I had to identify what needed to be done, and then I had to take, I had to take those steps to do it after I identified it. And the same thing is true with generosity. If we want to become generous people, we then have to do generous things, and we have to do them on purpose. When, when I was doing the, this health challenge, it wasn't an accident, like I'm going to accidentally eat healthier, I'm going to accidentally work out, I'm going to accidentally track and manage. No, I had to do it on purpose. If we want to live a generous life, we got to do generous things, and we have to do them on purpose. So my question for us today that we can look at in this is, what are we doing, what are we doing to be generous? And you can make that personal. What am I doing to be generous? What are you doing to be generous? What are you going to do today that blesses somebody else? Not tomorrow, not next week. What are you going to do today that can be a blessing to somebody else? I think once we move from a desire to be generous to actually being generous, something amazing happens. Once we start doing it, we then start seeing opportunities to be generous everywhere. You, you may notice this sometimes. Um, 
everyone, you know, people here have either been given a new vehicle or bought a new vehicle or a used vehicle, but we, we all have vehicles, right? Isn't it interesting that as soon as you acquire a new vehicle, you start seeing that vehicle everywhere? You notice it, right? It seems like everyone else on the road now is now driving your car. Now, in psychology, this is actually a term for this. It's known as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, or frequency illusion. No, you didn't go buy the same car as everybody else. Everybody else did not see your car and go, I want that car as good as that would make you feel. That's not how it works, right? We're not that big of a deal on the road. But it's your brain now adjusting to see things that are important to you. You put money into that vehicle, or it was gifted to you. There's a special meaning behind it. That is yours. So because that is yours, you start seeing it all over the place. Your brain is in tune to seeing these things, but you'd still see all the cars on the road before. You just didn't notice that a lot of them maybe were your car until you acquired the car that you have now. This is the same thing with generosity. Once we start living generously, you start looking for opportunities. Your brain then starts triggering your body and your mind and eyes to see all these things. You start seeing it more frequently, and it becomes something that, oh my gosh, I didn't even recognize this was all around me. But since you're now doing it, you are now recognizing it. And how cool is that? When we pray, I know this, when we start living generos generously, our brain looks for it. And when we pray, the Holy Spirit activates that in our bodies as well. When we activate our generosity, our brain works, God infuses his Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And it is an amazing thing when God's on your side. What you can see him doing through you is so incredible. And it seems simple, right? Th this statement, I think, seems simple, but it, it's, it's pretty profound. Generous people do generous things, right? Generous, if you're a generous person, you will do generous things. But taking that step is still hard. Why, why do so many of us have that desire to be generous? I don't think if I, if I ask the question, you know, I'm not going to because I don't want to be proven wrong on stage. But if I asked who wants to be more generous, I don't think most people would keep their hands down. I think it's a desire. Like, yes, I would love the opportunity to be generous. I would love to have the resources to be generous. I think it's, it's a natural thing to be able to want to help someone because of the feeling it does for them, the feeling it does for you. It just it helps us feel good. And I think there's a story in scripture that really, really capitalizes on this generosity and kind of the, the struggle we go through, and we'll see the struggle they went through on how to activate this generosity in their lives. So Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 15, we're going to talk about loaves and fishes, a story that many of us know. Starting in verse 15, it says this, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, there is a, this is a remote place and it is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, you do not need to go away. Give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's, if you've been in children's ministry or Sunday school group in the church, loaves and fishes is a very common story. Lots of people know this one. But, but I, I love the story, and I want to set the scene and give you some context for what's happening here. Now, Jesus is literally surrounded by thousands of people who are gathered together to see him. And he's teaching, he's healing sick people, and the passage tells us there were 5,000 men present. But the last line there says, besides women and children. So if you want to count all the people there, scholars believe there was anywhere ranging from 10 to 15,000 people in this crowd. That's a lot of people. And as it starts to get late in the day, the disciples come to Jesus with a problem, right? They say, Jesus, we have an issue. It's starting to get dark. 
They notice that the sun's going down, people haven't eaten dinner, and the disciples are concerned. They're saying, hey, if people aren't going to get sent home for dinner, um, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be forced to travel really, really dark, and you know, they didn't have street lights and things back then, so it's going to be dark. It's going to be late. Traveling at night in that time is not necessarily the safest thing to do. So they come to Jesus with a very legitimate observation. Jesus, it's getting late. The disciples are not complaining. They're not being petty. They're not coming up to him and saying, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're that preacher that just, it's dinner time, man. Let's, let's wrap this up. This is a genuine concern. They identified a legitimate need impacting this large group of people. Now, we would expect Jesus to say something like, you know what? You're right. Let's send them home. Time's up. Let's, let's get them home so keep them safe. Or maybe the disciples were thinking Jesus would uh, do some kind of miracle right off the bat. Jesus, they need food. Food! And it would just start raining from the sky like it did in the Old Testament. But that's not what happens here. The disciples did exactly what all of us who believe in Jesus have been taught to do. They identified the need. They brought it to Jesus. Like, all right, we check all the boxes. This is what we're supposed to do. But then there, there's a little bit of a script flip in the story here. When the disciples come to Jesus with a problem, Jesus responds by telling them to solve it. Jesus tells them to solve it. Right? So, so Jesus says this. He says, you give them something to eat. I don't think the disciples were expecting that answer. Jesus, it's dark. It's meal time. All right, what are we going to do? Jesus says, okay, go feed them. They're like, okay. Well played, Jesus. <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? He doesn't perform the miracle right away. He doesn't even give them a solution right away. Instead, he puts the responsibility back on their shoulders. He says, you guys go do something. And they respond probably exactly how we would respond in the situation, right? They say, hey, this is all we've got. We've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Back on you, Jesus. What do we do now? Jesus puts the responsibility on the disciples. Their first response is to make sure that he understands their limitations. That's what they say. Jesus, you got to know that we're limited here. They're talking about loaves and fish, but what they're really saying is this. They're not just saying, Jesus, all we have is this food. What they're really saying in this moment is they're saying, Jesus, we don't have enough. Jesus, we do not have what you're asking. We don't have the ability to do this. And I think they're identifying something that we feel so much today, don't we? We see a problem in the world. A lot of us can, can watch the news or see something or we, we, we get a, an email from an organization saying, here's something that we want you to do. You know, if you just drink one less cup of coffee a week, you can fund this. You know, we, we've all seen those. But how many times, though, does it really hit us where we say, hey, here's a need and I see it, but this is all I've got. I don't have enough. I'm not big enough. I don't have enough, Jesus. I don't have enough time to help out there. I don't have enough money to be a part of this. I don't have enough resources to do this, Jesus. Jesus, I don't have enough influence to make a difference here. I don't have enough. I am not enough. We identify opportunities to be generous, but then what happens is we allow our limitations to keep us from action. We start looking at ourselves and saying, this is why I can't. And I think this is the answer to the question I asked early. Why does our desire to be generous not translate into actually doing it? I believe the real reason is we allow our limitations to stop us. We allow our limitations to stop us. It's not God that stops us. It's us. It's our own self-doubt, our own humanness and saying, this is the reality of what I have. This is why I can't. But I love that Jesus doesn't let it stop there. When the disciples say, Jesus, we don't have enough. We can't do it. It doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't say to them, you're right, I guess there's too many people and not enough food, so you guys are right, go home, send them home. What Jesus does is he gives them a very specific instruction in this moment. Remember, they brought the problem to Jesus, Jesus put it on them, and then Jesus says this, he says, 
bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Don't miss this key line in the story. Bring them to me. Jesus tells the disciples, bring what you have. You say it's not enough, but bring it to me. Give it to me. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Thousands of people. The disciples are not wrong in their assessment. They, they are very right when they say this is not enough food. We do not have enough. They don't have enough food for all that. But the mistake the disciples make is looking at their limitations instead of looking at Jesus. The mistake they make is looking at what they have and how limited they are instead of looking at the one who's literally right in front of them. Jesus is right there in the flesh for them. And they're still looking at their limitations instead of saying, hey, let me come to you. And so Jesus says that to him. He says, bring it to me. And let's read that passage again of what happens because this is amazing of what happens when people bring their limited resources to the one who is unlimited. He directed the people, sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven. He gave thanks and broke the bread. Then he gave to them the disciples and the disciples gave them the people. They all ate and were satisfied and disciples picked up basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number was about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is amazing. This is amazing when you think of the miracle that happens. Jesus does what the disciples could not do on their own. But he doesn't do it until the disciples take that step of action. He tells them, feed them. And that causes them now, oh, we've got to get food. And then once they take that action, Jesus says, all right, you took that action, now bring it to me. Bring to me what you did and watch what we can do. Is it possible that Jesus still has amazing things that he wants to do in this world? Do you guys believe that? Is it possible that Jesus still has amazing things to do in this world? I would say yes, without a doubt. I can look across the world and say, I know there are incredible things Jesus wants to do. Is it possible Jesus wants to take our efforts and multiply it in ways far beyond that we could imagine? I believe that wholeheartedly. Absolutely, yes. Is it possible Jesus wants to do all these things? He's waiting for us to take that first action step. He's waiting for us to say, all right, Jesus, this is what I've got. And that's when he says, all right, let's go. Let's see what we can, let, let you see what now we can do together. I love this quote from St. Augustine. It says, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. I think there's so many times we, we can look through our lives and see that God is waiting on us maybe to take that first step. That first step in that desire to be generous. That first action step to actually be generous. And as much as he did with the, the loaves and fishes, when we take that step to being generous, we can see our efforts multiplied far beyond what we can do because God's hand is in it. If I was going to put it into a formula, it might look something like this. It would say, what we have plus who God is equals enough. What we have plus who God is equals enough. And I, I think this, this kind of simplifies it a little bit for us to understand, right? If we have the faith to look past our limitations, the faith to look past the, this is all I have, this is why I can't, I'm not sure. If we can look past that and say, God, here's what I have. God, here's what I have. Here, here's my life. Here's what you've given me. Here's what, here's what I'm bringing to the table. That's when we can see God use our generosity to reach people far beyond what we ever could on our own. But I don't think it's going to happen until we take that step in faith. Say, God, take it. Use it. Use it for you. And generosity doesn't just change the lives of other people. This type of faithful generosity changes our lives as well. There are some studies that have been done um, by the, the Stony Brook University School of Medicine in New York, and they found some amazing things on generosity. People who live generous lives, check this out. Being generous lowers blood pressure. It lowers risk of dementia, lessens anxiety and depression, reduces cardiovascular risk, 
and increases overall happiness. If you wanted to offer that to someone, hey, you want something that's going to lessen dementia, reduce your, your blood pressure, reduces cardiovascular risk, and make you happier, do you want it? I, no, I don't know if anyone's going to say no to that, right? Those are all great things. And the key is learning how to be generous. That's an amazing thing. And those physical changes don't just take place in your life. When you are the recipient of someone being generous, those things start to happen in your life. It makes you happier. Stress and anxiety disappear. Um, you never know when your act of generosity for going for someone, what they're going through in that moment in particular maybe. You don't know their whole situation. And that one kind act you did could have just changed everything for them. Maybe not even just for the day or the week. It could change the course of their life because one small act. When we live generous, it makes everything better. Activating your generosity makes everything better. Nothing, bad things don't happen from someone being generous to, to you when you get to open up what God has pulled in your heart. It makes things better. I want to share an amazing story with you today on a video that demonstrates, uh, demonstrates the power of taking what we have and giving it to God and seeing what he can do. Go ahead and check this out. I love that story. I love that story about, you know, this woman who, who needed this car, and, but also about this other family who listened to God. God put it on their heart. They had the ability to help get this woman a car. And in, she donated her car fund to a widow in need. And then what happened when, when she did something, when she was so generous, I love that her generosity was in turn returned by someone else being generous to her. And then the story started to continue, right? She said, we wanted this to remain confidential, but then they started hearing stories of, your generosity inspired me to be generous. And it just it was this trickle effect of people living generously. That's a beautiful picture. And who but God could bring all those people together in that way, right? Who but God could have orchestrated her raising money and then not using it for herself, then another family saying, we want to help with a car, then another family getting involved, then everyone else being impacted by the story of this giving. God orchestrates so much when we decide, I'm going to take action. I'm going to not just see the need. I'm not just going to be aware of it. I'm going to do something about it. And my favorite line is in the end of the video when she says, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. I love it. I knew God has many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. Friends, God, I believe, has so much for us. So much for us. But it's not just for us. It's for us to be able to share and bless and live a generous life with others. And I love that when we do that, people get to experience the heart of Jesus. And I know that I believe thoroughly that when we take that step of generosity, we will be blown away with what we can see God do. Would you uh, stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team up this, this morning. The million-dollar question is, how do we do it, though, right? How do we do this? How do we, how do we, how do we have this desire not just to see it, but to actively do it, to step forward in it. And there can be multiple question, uh, answers to that question. But I want to encourage all of us today. I want to encourage you today. In order to activate this generosity thing, don't think you have to go buy someone a brand new car right now. If God puts it on your heart, I'm not going to stop you. But if you want to start living generously, start small. Start small. Start with, hey, God, here's what I've got. Here's what I can do. But just because you're starting small doesn't mean God isn't going to make it incredibly large. Start small. Start with something simple. At times, we may delay generosity because we're waiting for a bigger opportunity to come along. I would say, don't even let the small ones pass you by. Act on it. If you see it and God puts it on your heart, do it. I believe God is providing opportunities for us to be generous right where we are. And I think God will keep providing you with greater opportunities. Proverbs 11.24 says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. I love this because it says, when you give, 
you start seeing more. You start experiencing more. You start seeing God in bigger ways. The world gets larger when you give. Be generous people. Start where you are. Don't allow your limitations to stop you. Don't look and say, all right, God, this is all I, I, I can't do it because I don't have it. Instead, do what the disciples did. When Jesus said, do something, they said, all right, here's what we have. We're bringing it to you. Bring what you have to Jesus. Start today. Bring what you have to him. And in this season, and not just this season, but moving forward, see how God can work through you to live a generous life. I want to end with the same prayer that we had last week. <clears throat> so if you just close your eyes, I'm going to say this, but just echo this prayer in your heart. If you desire to live a generous life, start with this and let's pray. God, I want to experience the joy that comes from being generous. I ask that today an opportunity will come my way and that I will recognize it when it does and that I will have the courage to jump in and give. And I'm going to add this to that prayer. God, I pray that nothing holds me back from doing what you've put on my heart, that I bring what I have to you and watch you do miracles. So God, we come to you today Wanting to, wanting to step into this generosity, God, wanting to see your hand in so many lives. I pray you use us to be your hands and feet. You use us to touch lives around us, God. And in this season of, of thankfulness and going into Christmas, God, we don't just, we don't just look at ourselves or, or pass by those around us that could need something, God. You let us see it, and you give us that step to do it. So, God, I thank you for this place, and I thank you for what we are going to see you do in our lives and in this community. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen.